Welcome to the Extraordinary Creatives Podcast. I'm Kerry Hand, your host and creative coach. Join me each week as we delve into the journeys of creative trailblazers, aiming to inspire you to embrace your creativity and chart your own unique path. So welcome, Dave. We're thrilled to have you here on the Extraordinary Creatives Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us from Orange County. Carrie, what a pleasure to be with you. I always enjoy our conversations and I'm so excited to be able to have this conversation with you. Would you do this the honor of going back to the beginning and sharing your motivation for starting the Coaching for Leaders podcast? I wish I could tell you I had some grand plan of how <laughs> all this was going to work, but the reality was, is I was bored <laughs> driving ah. around Los Angeles. And I say that because I started a job with Dale Carnegie, the worldwide leader in training, and I was driving three, four hours a day, not all at once, thankfully, but around Los Angeles meeting clients. My job was like going out and talking to people. And this was long before the days of Zoom and you know so many of the digital tools we have today. And I got bored very quickly of commercial radio and decided I need to find some way to keep myself uh, just mentally engaged when I'm spending all these hours on the road. And so I bought a iPod Nano. I don't know if you remember those, I those do. Tiny little thin things. And it was just small enough that it fit in this little slot in the front of my glove compartment of my Toyota Corolla. And I went to one of these audio shops and had them install a line to like hook into my uh, radio and hook into, this was long before like CarPlay and all those things were available. And plug into the iPod so I could play it and it would go through the speakers of my car. And I thought this was like amazing. So I'd listen to audiobooks. And of course, I stumbled across podcasts during this time. Podcasts were very much in their infancy. And I started consuming as many as I could while I was on the road. And I pretty quickly came to the realization that the show I wanted to listen to didn't seem to exist. I found leadership shows that were really consistent, but the content wasn't really great. Or I'd find a show that was had really good content, but it was recorded on a conference call line that was popular at one point. Or I'd find a great show, but they would only air like once a month or two, and it was really inconsistent. And I could not find a show that was in the genre of things I wanted to listen to, like leadership business, that was consistently aired, that had really good audio quality, and that was useful to me in a practical way. Mm. And so that was the motivator for me to start coaching for leaders. And at the beginning, that was my mantra of this little side project of, well, at the very least, what I could do is I could air something consistently. I knew I could do that. Uh, I could get I could buy a microphone and get good audio quality and figure that piece out. And I'd been spending my whole career as a practitioner and working at Carnegie and learning how to like help folks in situations. So I'm like, I think I can air something that's helpful to people. And, and if it's not, I think I'll know that before I air it. And those three things, a lot's changed in the last 12, 13 years now. But those three things are still actually very much at the heart 
of what I do each week on the podcast. It's mm, great. So what kind of thing did you want to help people with? What were you experiencing at that time that you knew there was a gap in the market for it? At the time I started, there was a lot of conversation about coaching skills. And it wasn't just anymore coaching skills for professional coaches, life coaches, executive coaches, which was anytime you'd, and I did some of my research on this when I was at school, anytime you'd try to find a book on coaching, it was always a book written for a professional coach or someone who was doing that professionally. But there wasn't really anything for the everyday leader. So we were starting to get like, this was becoming a little bit more in the language of business. Like, oh, we need, like leaders should do a better job of having good coaching skills. Mm -hmm. And I had gone through coach training and at one point thought I wanted to do coaching full-time as a career and work with people one-on-one and did a little bit of that. And so I thought, well, that'd be maybe helpful to people. Like I know something about this. I've had some experience at Carnegie doing this. So when this show started, it was actually called Coaching Skills for Leaders at the beginning, the first almost year. And I thought each week we could have a conversation about one coaching skill. So we do one on listening and then we did one on asking questions. And that went eight or nine months on just that. And I thought if I could do something there that that was consistent, you know, getting back to those three things that hopefully that'd be helpful to someone. So would you say your motivation for helping people overrode your kind of anxiety or nervousness about putting yourself in the public realm? I would love to say that, <laughs> but it, the reality was like, it was kind of complex at the beginning. I, it, I think it started more from a place of me thinking about myself actually a lot at the beginning, which mm -hmm. sounds like weird to say, but that's just how it started. Yeah, is, I totally get that. One is I wanted to listen to the show I couldn't find. So yeah. I started it. So there was a selfishness there of like just wanting to scratch my own itch, as they say, like I here I have this need and I don't see it out there. So how can I how can I do this? Secondly, I really love the medium of podcasting, like an audio. Like once I found this, I was thinking like, wow, I love listening to this. I love engaging in this medium of like listening to audio. Not for everyone, but for me, it just really landed. So I was like really fascinated by the technology and the medium. And then third, I knew I wasn't going to stay at Dale Carnegie the rest of my career for all kinds of reasons. Mm. And I was pretty sure I was going to go down the academic route and be a professor somewhere. And I thought if I did this as a side project and interviewed a few people and um, showed a commitment to having produced something for a little bit, like that would probably be helpful to my portfolio eventually to like when I was being considered by a hiring committee. And so it kind of started there. And I'm sort of like embarrassed to say, I didn't think a lot at the beginning about the audience because I was so like caught up in just like what I was doing and like how it was helping me at the beginning mm -hmm. that the helping others. And, and it's so interesting. Like now I hardly think about any of those things <laughs> like that. It was at the beginning. So the, how to be helpful to others came with time Yeah, early on. But like I had to like get past myself first and sort of like all that messiness of like just starting 
And just as an example, I bought all the equipment and it took me nine months to actually start to air the first episode. So it wasn't like, I mean, there was a whole bunch of me just, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to like record something that anyone on the planet could download and point to as like an example of what not to do, right? I love so, that you share that, Dave, because the, yeah. the, our audience could really relate, I'm sure, to having an idea and just wanting to follow your own nose, you know, just yeah. being so into it that actually you just want to explore where it goes for yourself. And yeah. that kind of commitment to following that idea is kind of worth you know, considering over time, but also I love that you shared that you procrastinated about it because oh, absolutely, I think we can absolutely. all relate to that too. You know? Yeah. And, and it was a blessing that no one was listening mm. at the beginning, hardly anybody, because I could make, and all those episodes are still up. Like you can go back and listen and like, they're okay. I mean, I've never aired anything that wasn't like, I wasn't proud of in some way, but you can go back and listen to the early episodes. They're not great. Some of them. Um, but I, I could make my mistakes early on and I didn't like, I didn't enter into this with really any expectations other than this is a little side project that'll be part of my professional portfolio. So I didn't have all this in my head of like, uh, I, I mean, other than kind of the normal, like nervousness, I wasn't thinking like, oh gosh, 15 years from now, someone's going to listen to this and, and be utilizing it for their leadership strategy i was just like okay i'm just starting yeah and when did it tip for you dave where you where it became the main thing instead of the side thing oh gosh it was there were a number of pieces along the journey but i do recall one specific decision point that was pretty significant in just how i thought about it and it felt really significant at the time and i think it was now looking back too i at one point, I had basically three jobs. I was working full time at Dale Carnegie. I was doing this little side project called Coaching for Leaders that was starting to become like medium little, <laughs> right? <laughs> like a bigger thing. And then I was teaching part time at Bonnie's University, my wife, Bonnie, uh, as an adjunct professor, because I was thinking long term, I was going to go the academic route. And the thing you do if you want to become a professor is you start teaching part time. And that's how you get on the radar screen of universities. And if you are going to be considered, they are expecting you're doing, you know, teaching part time. So all three of these things I really love to do and were fun and joyful. But I came to the point where it was obvious to me that I couldn't keep doing all three. I wasn't sleeping enough. Um, I couldn't find enough time in the day to like do like just some of the fundamental responsibilities that all three were demanding of me. And I read the book by Greg McEwen about that time, Essentialism. Mm. And, and I, I realized in reading the book that I needed to set aside something and it wasn't going to be Dale Carnegie. Cause that was my, like my salary, essentially like most, almost everything that I was making as far as revenue was coming from Dale Carnegie. Um, and so it was either going to be the podcast or it was going to be the part-time teaching. And Harry was like a really, I thought about it for like nine months of like, okay, what am That's I That's a going reoccurring to? number for you, Dave. Yeah. It seems like <laughs> nine months. I mean, I do not move quickly on things <laughs> we could talk about too, but, um, I thought about it for a while and the university 
part-time teaching route was like very, in a way, very stable, predictable, like smart to do. But I had this feeling that if I stepped away from that, I was stepping away from it forever, which of course isn't true, like looking back, but that's how it felt at the time. And then here's, there's this coaching for leaders thing, which was growing. Like there was more people listening. We were doing a little bit on, it was starting to become a little bit of a business. Like there was a couple small projects I'd started, but it was very much still new. And I decided that I had to decide like which one I like, neither one would ever go very far if I tried doing both. And so I ultimately decided to stop teaching and to set that aside. And that's when coaching for leaders really started to get traction was after I made that decision. Well, do you remember what the final thing was that helped you to make the decision? I'm just observing over time. I mean, that's one of the reasons it took me time to do it because there wasn't a clear answer for me initially because the part-time teaching job was so good. Mm. Um, I, I don't know what it's like there, but here in the States, like part-time, like adjunct instruction at university tends to be a job where you get asked to do a ton of work. It get you, you are paid very little. You have large classes. It's, it's, it's a, it's something you do to earn your stripes, to be able to get to the point where you want to go. And that's almost universally true for everyone who goes through that. And it wasn't at all the situation for me. I had, we had really small classes and amazing students. I actually was paid pretty well. It was just, just happened to be this program at, at Bonnie's university. That was like really great. The faculty were amazing to work with. I didn't run into any of the politics. Like it wasn't like the tough story that so many people have going through that. So it was a really great gig. And I knew I had a great gig and it was only three, four hours a week. It was one night a week, six to 10 PM. And I'm like, really? Like you can't like keep doing this for three or four hours a week. Like you're going to set this aside. But what ultimately I realized, Carrie, is that what looked good, if you just looked at the numbers and like the logistics of it, didn't actually match the reality. Because the reality was, is I would work from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. I'd come home and I'd been facilitating for three, four hours teaching. And my energy level was like sky high. And I like had this great enjoy. I, I loved it. I loved it. Loved working with the students. And I couldn't fall asleep till one in the morning, two in the morning sometimes. And then I'd be tired the next day. And then that would lead into the following day on projects. And it would throw off my schedule for like two or three days because I loved it so much and I engaged in it so much. And I sort of ultimately realized I can't put myself in this position for projects late in the evening. And that was the model of the program, that it was an evening program for working adults. And that ultimately made me realize like it was such a good gig that it was actually counterproductive to all the other things I was trying to do in my life. And it took me a while to like figure that out. I so love that you shared that with us, Dave. Thank you. Because it's something that I think um, a lot of our audience will relate to because they're very often shuffling things around, almost like a Rubik's Cube in their creative careers, where something that is great, they end up working around it. So, Mm. And it becomes a little like the grit in the oyster, do you know, that actually other things become more challenging and more difficult to achieve because the energy that's around this one thing, which seems so golden, 
actually is soaking up. So the return on that time invested, as you said, it's not just about money. It's about actually what else are you capable of thinking about? Yeah. What else are you capable of paying full attention to that could grow? So by zoning in on this one area, a very localized way of addressing all of your attention, that actually the limitations for everything else are curtailed. So I love the fact that you shared that because actually it's so scary. It feels like cutting off one of your arms sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, it did. And now I look back and I'm like, I could have like gone and get hired somewhere else like six months later as a part-time instructor. Like it, it doesn't seem like a big deal now, but it really did seem like a big deal at the time. I'm like, okay, um, I'm sort of like, burning the ships and like setting off on this new course. And of course, like so many things in life are actually not that, but they do feel like that in the moment. But I also learned a ton about myself. One of the reasons I don't do any speaking is it for me, I, I would put so much energy and preparation into it. I could do a good job with it, I think, but it would take out three or four days of my energy and my focus. And as someone who's more of an introvert, like that, it just doesn't play to my strengths. I can do it. And that's one of the things I learned at Carnegie too. I can do it. I can do it successfully, but boy, it is just not in my wheelhouse as far as like energy level and management. And so as, as long as it took to figure that out, it still serves me in where I put time and energy and how I try to show up in the work I do today. Yeah, that was a really brilliant nine months investment because I think, you know, you've honed your craft so well. And one of the reasons you know that I'm such a fan of the podcast, I've learned so much from you and your guests, Dave, over the years. And I recommend to everybody because thank you, thank the you. craft of your questioning skills, which are really about opening up people's minds. It's not just about tools and habits and tracking. You know, what I've learned really is how a creative mind and certainly a a mind that is uh, best put to use innovating and helping shape things in the future Mm -hmm. uh, really can get stuck on those binary things sometimes. The things that people, other people find normal, let's say, or like straightforward, you know, for a, a creative brain can seem really like, if I don't do that, the world is going to implode, do you know? So yeah. I love the fact that actually you've found something that not only are you brilliant at, but also by committing in the way that you have fully, you've actually expanded your universe rather than restricting it. Yeah, I think so. And thank you for the kind words and for listening and the privilege to support you. And that's certainly what's changed for me now is I don't, I'm not thinking about going into academia anymore at all. Like that plan got set aside a long time ago. I don't really think as much about the, I actually don't really identify as a podcaster. Um, and, um, and like some of the things early on that I really like was thinking more for me, now I think much more of how do I show up in a way that's useful to people that are listening in that have put their trust in me with their time, which is like the one thing that none of us can get back is spending time listening to anything or engaging with anything and listening to a podcast. I really uh, take that responsibility seriously 
to if someone's going to invest 40 minutes to listen to an episode of my show, I better make sure that that's a, that's a time that's really helpful to them in some way. And so I really am always zoned in on that of like how I prepare for conversations and the questions that I ask and all of, all of that uh, prep work really goes into that intention now. Well, I think it shows. And I think it's always insightful to hear your questions, but also the the curated range of guests, I think, is also um, the difference and diversity of thought and experience that you bring to the table. Um, yeah. It's been so helpful to so many. So thinking of that and thinking, drawing on both yours and your guests kind of experience, I wonder what key attributes would you say, or do you believe, Dave, are fundamental for effective leadership in today's climate? Mm, boy, it's interesting how many things come back to the basics. I am asked often, what's like the big thing in leadership right now? Like, what's the hot thing? What are people talking about? And there are always some things that are in the news or culturally relevant, but 90% of the conversations I have every single day with our members and our listeners come back to core things that I've been getting questions on for 20 years. And it is, how do I delegate well? How do I give feedback? How do I facilitate a difficult conversation between two people um, or more? How do I set a vision? How do I communicate that vision? Um, those that, how do I manage my time well? How do I develop other people? Like those half a dozen things are the things that are probably the vast majority of the conversations conversations I have and the questions that I get. And yes, there are the things like, okay, what does return to work look like, right? And how are we um, uh, how are we handling, uh, for example, DE and I? Thankfully, has become much more of a focus for for all of us, as it should, in the wake of all the events in the world and getting better at that. All those things are, are key and critical. And it, and, it, and it all comes back to the fundamental, um, the fundamental necessity of leaders to be able to uh, have tough conversations and to have a vision and to really engage with their people skills. And that, for me, keeps coming up again and again and again. Mm -hmm. So you know that for many of our listeners who are artists or arts professionals, um, they may well describe themselves as introverted or shy. And I know I certainly can identify with that, Dave. You know, I always in, I talk about myself being a creative introvert. And yet here I am with you on air. Here we are. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. So but I know that so many shy and introverted people find it challenging to assert their needs or their boundaries. That's something that comes up for a lot of the clients that I work with. And your own experience and discussions with people like Susan Kane, for example, mm. um, have illustrated to me that introverts can lead as effectively as extroverts. I wonder if you could speak to that from your own personal experience and also maybe think of whether any strategies you can think of that might help our audience in terms of cultivating their confidence in relationship to their leadership style. Yeah. Uh, well, there's some really interesting research. Adam Grant has done some research on this of looking at the effectiveness of leaders. And the conclusion of people who've looked at this is that 
uh, introverts and extroverts lead equally well. And and sometimes a little depending on the situation, like one or one style may be a little bit more effective than others. But uh, absolutely, introverts lead as well, if not better, in some situations than extroverts do. If you look at the the research, uh, the key I think is how do you lean into your strengths and then find people who complement you well in the things that you don't do, and to the extent that you can to design your work around that to speak to your strengths. Um, this is a little bit easier for me today than it was earlier in my career, because I now have the privilege from running a business and having started coaching for leaders from the beginning that I can design my work around my strengths. And I have more bandwidth and more ability to do that than someone who's working, say, for a Fortune 500 with a large team that, yes, their role may play to some of their strengths, but there's also inevitably things that they're going to be asked to do that don't align up with that. Um, as there are in my role, there's things that I do that are very extroverted, and I need to show up in ways that may not be naturally part of my style. But, uh, but I get a little bit more privileged to do that now than I did before. But where I try to walk that line, even like when I was with Carnegie, for example, is... Uh, I was really fortunate at the time, early in my career at Carnegie, that I had a manager who said, I kind of don't care how you do it. Here's the objective. Like, here's the business objective of what we're doing. And you find your way. And he was really supportive of like us trying different things and experimenting. And, and that was really painful at the beginning for me because uh, Dale Carnegie is a very extroverted uh, organization, teaching people public speaking skills. A lot of the people who work for Carnegie, my friends today still are like very extroverted, outgoing people. And I love being around people who are like that. And that's not me, really. And so I had to learn to find my own way in that. And the most, um, the thing that comes to mind, Carrie, when I'm, when you ask this is, part of my job early on at Carnegie was sales. Like that's how you got to do the cool stuff of like going to instruct and doing the things I really wanted to do. And so we were asked to go and knock door to door on, you know, different organizations and businesses. This is back when people knock, would go into office buildings and knock door to door. And so I remember one day getting all of my things together and all my brochures and going to this high rise. I picked out a building in um, Los Angeles that I was going to go and start at the top and work my way down. That was the plan of let me go start knocking on doors. And I spent um, too long thinking about it and, you know, spent the morning organizing my briefcase. So everything was like in the right spot, right? Got there, took the elevator up to the top floor, walked out. I looked at the row of doors all the way down the hallway. And I stopped for a minute and I turned around and I got back in the elevator <laughs> and I went down and Brilliant. I got back in my car and drove back to my office in Long Beach. And I had the very conscious thought, if I'm going to do this job, which I had committed to do both to myself and others, I'm going to have to figure out a better way. Because I could knock door to door. It's not that I couldn't do it and I'd done it before, but I just thought like, this does not play to my strengths. 
it wasn't a, I was, uh, it was beneath me, anything like that. It was just a, this is not going to work well for me. It's going to be like so hard to do and to force myself to do this. And that's when I started to write more and send out articles to clients on email, like the people we were already working with and like started a mailing list. And no one else was doing that in our business at all. Like email marketing, all that was kind of still a new thing. And it ended up changing everything because I realized that the passion that I had would be channeled in a different medium that would be just as valuable to people and engage as many connections and relationships as going and knocking on a door. And and it's not a better or worse, both like really important activities for a business to do at the time, at least. It was what plays to my strengths. And thankfully, I had someone who was my manager at the time who was like, hey, if it works, great, go for it. And was really affirming and, and gave me the flexibility to do that. And that was when I started thinking about how do I design work around my strengths? Love that, Dave. Do you know, first I had to get over the hot shame that I experienced on your behalf, um, just because of I also did sales and market research to get my way through um, college. Yeah. And um, those initial calls, looking at those numbers, or the fo- picking up the phone or going door to door, I also I had some crazy jobs where I had to dress up as Little Bo Peep to sell some dictionaries to people. Oh, no. <laughs> so I was re-experiencing that as you were telling me about those doors. I was just thinking, yep, I know. That feeling of dread that I am in the wrong outfit or the wrong place at the wrong time. I totally get it. But what I love is how quickly you found a creative strategy to coming at something your own way. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I didn't tell you the 17 other stories. <laughs> um, it, 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 I, I don't do anything quickly. <laughs> have the whole conversation, but, but once I figure out something, I am pretty good on moving. Yeah. And from that point forward, I did, once I figured out like, okay, I need to leverage my strengths better. Then from there forward, I was pretty good about like when I started to do something different or take on a new activity of thinking, okay, how can I make this play to my strengths? And sometimes I couldn't, like we all have things that we can't, right? That's just life. But to the extent of the things I can, how do I do this in a way that's joyful, but also plays to my strengths and helps honor like my just weird energy level and patterns? And, and mostly that's worked in in the past decade yeah, or so. It certainly seems that way. Thinking about um, the disruptors and the nonconformists that we are lucky enough to be um, connected to either as entrepreneurs or creatives in our life. Thinking, <laughs> do you have any advice on how those people who sit outside of institutions or organizations could effectively engage or collaborate with them? How the people who are like independent working with it, like going back to a larger organization? I yeah, just I'm sure thinking, yes, yeah, sorry, Dave. I'm thinking especially about there are so many artists or arts professionals who are freelancers. Mm. And um, certainly even the um, social entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that I, I work with 
who are either small startups or they may be small but mighty, you yeah. know, um, studios where they are working in relationship to institutions. And you know the frameworks and the systems and the way people relate to each other in kinds in those kinds of organizations. Mm -hmm. So having that experience as I have, um, we're very often almost uh, interpreting those language systems to the people who want to work in relationship to them. And I think sometimes that idea of where power sits or how you navigate or negotiate power feels like it's an, it's held by somebody else. It's a, a clue. There isn't a clue or a um, overt way of engaging with those organizations. Yeah. So very often I'm, I'm, working with uh, creatives or entrepreneurs to find their own power, their own way of relating to people, mm -hmm. to bring themselves into relationship with large organizations or institutions. But that assertion of, um, of their own system, their own way of communicating can feel like they're on the back foot sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it can feel like, just even in terms of the quantity of meetings that are expected of them or the number of emails that are expected, you know, and I'm sure you've experienced that too. And so I'm wondering if there's any um, any strategies or any anything you could give our audience that might inspire them to have confidence in their own way of relating to those organizations. Well, um, you may have more confidence in my answer or advice than I do, because there are still times I don't find that I always have confidence. Um, but I could say what's worked for me. Yeah, and like that would be great. That because I have no formal position, power, authority anywhere, really. I mean, other than our own firm, which is basically Bonnie and me and a few contractors that help us out. But I'm not leading a large team. Mm -hmm. I don't have any formal relationship with any large entity at all. I mean, I'm a freelancer, really. Oh. And so everything that I'm doing is is influence. It's not like there's no contracts, agreements between us and any other entity for like doing work, anything like that right now. It's it's all about influence. And I come back to years ago, I used to listen to Zig Ziglar and he had this great line. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. And I have approached that in my work through the lens of both the people who listen to our show and our members and also the guests who come onto the show is how can I help both? Like, how can I feature the work and the wisdom and the incredible, amazing things that people have figured out where the experts come on our show and how can I make them look as good as possible and find the thing that they they teach that would be most useful to the rest of us and to get their work out in the world and to help them to like, if they're an author, like help get their books traction and to, if they're um, a consultant, like to help them to find work. Like I really like guests are a huge stakeholder in what I'm doing. 
because I believe strongly in what they're doing and their expertise. And if someone has come onto the show, I have already decided that their work needs to be, you know, shared in the world. And so I'm trying to do that. And on the other side, I'm trying to um, figure out how can I help the uh, person who's in our academy right now, who's struggling with something with a idea or a perspective or some thinking that that expert would help with. And so I see my role very much as kind of the curator and the person at that intersection. My job is to like, see how I can help both of those parties connect better in a way that helps both of them. And that has worked really well because I've really found the thing that I think I can do that has that plays to my strengths a bit. And I don't know if I'm answering your question, Carrie. Oh, but yeah, you totally are. This is, I think a lot about intersections now in my work, which I never really thought of much years ago. And there's three things that I was like generally good at in my career. And I use intentionally the word good and not great. I was a good manager. I was a good employee. I was not often stellar, but I was solidly good. I was a good professor. I could have gone down that route. I'm sure I would have had a good career. I would have got good evaluations from students, but I would never have been an Adam Grant or like, or, or some of these folks who were doing incredible research and like working at these large institutions and doing incredible work. Um, and I always like was really interested in technology and communication and computers and even did a year in college as a computer science major. Like I was really like always been interested in that technology, but there's so many people who are way more talented than I am on that. And all of those three things I was like good at sometimes occasionally great, occasionally mediocre. And what I've done with coaching for leaders sort of by accident is I've intersected all three of those things. I know enough about the academic world that I can meet the experts and the researchers where they are and I can speak their language. And I know enough about the technology and how that drives like the work we do and the logistics of the medium and getting the message out there in the world. And I've been a practitioner my whole career. So I know what it's like to sit in a meeting on a Tuesday morning and to think I need to have this tough conversation with an employee and where do I start? And I now put those intersections together, those three things in almost everything I do with the podcast and with my work, it's, it's the, the academic expertise and talking to those folks. It's thinking about the practitioner and it's putting the technology piece on it. And any one of those three things, there are way better people, tons of them who do all three of those things better. But it turns out the intersection of those three, one, I'm really great at the intersection. And there's also not a lot of other people who are at that intersection of all three of those things. Like there's a lot that maybe are one or two. And I think that's one of the reasons that the show has gotten traction kind of accidentally. It took me a while to figure that out, but I, I have leaned into that and it has now opened up the opportunities to connect and to have relationships with people from all kinds of organizations. But I've really... One tried to think about how do I help all those parties? And also, where do I find the unique intersection that has um, that I'm able to do well? Mm. Somewhere in there, maybe there's an answer to your question. I don't know. Totally. I think I love that because in um, a lot of the clients that I speak to um, end up on this swing of um, either it's it has to be the best or it's not happening, 
you know it's it's really because of this um maybe this meritocracy that we have been raised in where this idea of the individual genius or you know that actually because the art world is this kind of space of perceived value and nobody's really sure you know how things happen you know it's really or how value is built if you like so yeah. one of the things that i try and teach and share all the time is this idea and i can never say this word dave so forgive me but reciprocity where <clears throat> we're adding value to each other and that determine termination to add value with intention i think is so clear but the other thing that you do so well that you know i would say maybe um people like guy raz who i know you've had on the show or jordan harbinger and, yeah. and your good self i think um for some reason your questioning has really helped me to um to see my own uh, strengths flaws you know areas for improvement and development but also being able to see how i can apply the learning from those people to my own situation and on a recent audio um course you had on your podcast and i i know there was i think there were five so i'm not going to ask you to share all of them but there were you had some valuable questions for fostering kind of productive working relationships and they're the kind they're the ones that come up a lot for you that you've used with your guests or in kind of just expanding people's thinking yeah. and I wonder would you do us the honor of just sharing a couple of those with us do you think are especially useful for unlocking meaning when you're building a relationship with somebody yeah well this goes back to my time being a Carnegie instructor and I would ask the question as a good facilitator, um, who has a situation they'd like to share about a difficult conversation or uh, giving feedback or whatever the topic of the day we were talking about. And inevitably someone in the class would raise their hand and say something. And often it was something like very short, like an initial answer to the question. And I would say as a facilitator, great, who else? And then there'd be another example. And then there'd be another example. We would get two or three examples. And initially, I thought of that as a conversation and a discussion. And on its face, it may seem that way. But I I realized one day that I just wasn't, we weren't getting any depth in those conversations. And I don't know what made me think to do it, Harry, but I, um, someone said something one day in a class. And I thought myself thinking like, I feel like there's something else there behind that. And I asked them, how so? And they ended up sharing this like detailed story of like the emotions they went through and the structure they used for having this difficult conversation. And I had two immediate thoughts. Um, one is, why have I not been asking this question all along, <laughs> right? And then secondly is, wow, the power of two words. Mm -hmm to invite someone to say more. And so that's a question I use a lot now. And it's really simple. It, anytime I hear someone say something and it's relatively short or transactional, or they say something and I kind of sense like there's more there, which is by the way, a lot of the time in a lot of conversations, I'll try to just say, how oh, so? And it's fascinating what that opens up. 
And the cousin of that is not technically a question, but it's the invitation. Tell me more. Yeah. And if done genuinely, like truly, I'm curious to hear more and I want to understand this. It's amazing what people say and open up. And so many of us, I think all of us want to be seen and heard. And we that doesn't happen in a lot of situations in our professional lives and in our personal lives too. And so just asking a question like that to invite someone to say more, um, when I'm working with our members, it's don't worry about like getting better at everything. Just ask one more question than you would otherwise. Thanks to Michael Bungay Stanier from The Coaching Habit for the inspiration of like, just be curious a little bit longer. It's one of the things he says. And so we'll like ask one more question. Ask how so. Invite someone to tell me more. And that often opens up the opportunity then for really finding out more about a person, a situation, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they need. And that's that's been a question I've been using ever since. Love that. And I would encourage everybody to uh, listen to Dave's podcast, Coaching for Leaders, to hear some more of those insightful questions. I wanted to ask you, and before we come to a close, Dave, because you're unlocking so many ideas for other people and you've heard so many strategies from so many different kinds of leaders, what's your process now for if you get stuck on a business decision or something in life even? Uh, my tendency in the past was to spend a lot of time thinking about something, evidence, all the examples earlier, <laughs> and to try to come to a place in my own mind and then to do it. Today, I still have that tendency if uh, that's kind of my default, but I've learned to involve people, others much sooner in my thinking process. So I will ask for advice more. I will ask for help. I will circulate ideas more with Bonnie, with um, folks in the mastermind I'm involved with, with friends. And that has helped me to make decisions more quickly. It also has helped me to see the inevitable blind spots. And it's, and I think probably most importantly, it's helped me to iterate faster. And I used to think about almost everything. It's like this big, massive decision. I have to have it all figured out from the beginning. And coaching for leaders, thankfully, has like worked that out of me for the most part of realizing that you cannot run a business, anything by trying to have it all figured out from the beginning. You have to iterate. Thank goodness I only had an hour or two a week when I started this project. Like that seemed, that seemed like such a constraint at the time. And now I think like what a blessing that was that I couldn't get it perfect. I couldn't figure it all out. Like if I was going to have a weekly episode, I, I needed to spend an hour or two week and I needed to just go and sometimes like it needed to be B plus. And that. That, that now is much more my, that I've, come all the way around 180 degrees on when I start something new is now testing, trying things out, small iterations, lean startup from Eric Ries, like that book and that model has like really permeated my thinking. And I've definitely changed my mind on how I approach problem situations on that completely in the last decade. That's brilliant. And I think, are you still having those um, morning catch-ups with your longstanding buddy, um, yeah, Scott. Would you mind saying just a little about that? Because I think it's one of the best habits that I've ever heard for 
helping oh. helping each other move through uh, challenging times in particular. Yeah. I, I, and I wish I could say it was my idea, but it was his idea. He approached me a couple of years ago and said, hey, I, I'm trying to like get better at some things and just have some personal accountability. How would you feel about us just hopping on the line in the morning for a few minutes each day and just talking through like what we're going to do for the day, like nothing big. And I thought, great, like sounds good to me. I could use some stuff, of course, to like I'd want to get better at. And we've been going several years now. And the way it works is at 9.05 every morning, uh, most mornings, uh, one of us calls each other and we talk about the day yesterday. And then we said three things for each of us that we're trying to accomplish today, three or less. And we sort of have this running joke, like anytime one of us shows up with a list of six things, the other person's like, really, really, <laughs> how many times have we been down this road? Where like, that never happens. It just never happens where that's successful. And so like, it's it, oftentimes our conversations are like really funny because one of us will like inevitably show up once a week with like five or six things on the list that they have to get done that day. And the other person is like, you are not going to do that. Like, come on. <laughs> um, and, 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 it's, and, it's, and it's from a place of like, okay, like, let's just be realistic. Like we both run businesses. We both have demands on our time. We both have lots of appointments each day. Um, and, and we talk it out and we just say like, here's the three things. And sometimes we coach each other a little bit. Sometimes we joke around. Sometimes we end up talking about something super serious that's going on. But most of the time, it's like a five or six minute call. And then we do it. And there's something about just saying it out loud to someone else. And then the next day, having to say, what did you do? That gets me to write it down. And that is enough to make it happen most of the time. And it's interesting, the days that I don't talk with Scott, um, I am not as disciplined on doing that and inevitably don't make as much traction. So amazing, it's worked, out, worked out really well. So you think it's really made a difference to your business, getting traction in your business? Yeah, it it because it comes back to like everything in business and life, like ultimately comes back to like what's happening in our brains, right? Like with us first. I mean, leadership is not about us, but it does start with us. And so being able to lead oneself first is really critical, and at least to do that better. And this helps me do it better. You know, if I show up today and I'm like 46% instead of 37%, great. <laughs> like some days, like that's enough. That's a win. So yeah, yay. I love that. Last but not least, I wonder, what are you most surprised by, Dave, that you've managed to achieve since you started the business? There's so many things that are surprising and bigger than I anticipated when this all started. Um, one thing I'm really was surprised about for sure is how, and I shouldn't have been because I know better, but how much better our members our Academy members specifically have made our podcast. When our Academy started and I began working with leaders, you know, very personally in an intimate group for a long, for a long period of time, um, I thought that I was doing that for helping them. And of course it is. And that's the whole intention behind the Academy. What I didn't realize is how much it would help me. And I say that because I hear I have the privilege of being in conversations with our members every day now, and they share 
what they're struggling. And I understand where they're having struggle and pain and frustration and, and joy and passion and all those things in their work. And that has been an unexpected, I tell people who are members now, like you're our research and development department, because I then take that perspective of all those things I'm hearing. And the next person I'm interviewing or reading a book, I'm thinking about all those stories and situations and I build interviews around them. And so that's now why I get emails from people who I've never met who are like, how do you know what's going on with me? Like, yeah. it's like you, like, I've never talked to you. I've never sent you an email. I've been listening to your podcast, but like somehow you're hitting on everything I'm thinking about. And I always reply and I'm like, well, thanks. But it's it, like, it's kind of simple in a way. I'm just listening to the 50 members in our academy that I'm talking with regularly. And I know if I'm hearing three or four things pretty consistently from different people, that there's thousands of other people out there who are dealing with the same thing right now. And, and again, this shouldn't have been surprising, but because it's so obvious in a way, Carrie, it's so obvious, like listen to what people are struggling with, show up, understand your customer, and then figure out how to help. Yeah. And that, and that's why I facilitate all the Academy sessions. That's why I, I cannot imagine a future where I'm doing this work and I'm not working with our, our clients directly. I'm, I'm a lot of people who have platforms and things like that. They have like hire other people to do the facilitation or the coaching. And I've decided not to do that. And one reason, at least not to this point. And one reason is it's so helpful to me too. Like it's really yeah. helpful to our members, but it's also, I, I, as we talked about earlier, I've been a practitioner at heart my whole career. At the end of the day, that's what I've been doing my whole career. The things I've not done have been like part-time side projects. And, and so being able to figure out like how, what people are struggling with, how I can help, like to me, that's so joyful to be able to do that. And that's the thing now that I think about more than anything else is like, how can I make those connections again, back to intersections, right? How can I make those connections to help? And when that happens and when that comes together and someone says, Hey, this episode you just aired or this conversation or this expert you had on helped me to have a tough conversation or work through something that I'd really been struggling with. Well, that's so much joy. Oh, well, thank you so much for doing your work, Dave, because it's helped so many of us do exactly that. And it is such a pleasure to have you here and join us on the Extraordinary Creatives podcast. There are so many things that I think are relevant for us to bring into the work that we do. And there's something about your quiet confidence in knowing those three things that you're brilliant at in coming together at the intersection. You know, you're very modest in saying there's three things that I'm good at. And when they come together, that's that's my superpower. Yeah. And I think so many creatives really need to understand that their USP and the lens that they bring is exactly that. It's there's a combination of things that when applied in their own way, it makes magic in the world. So thank you for sharing your story and your experiences with us today, Dave. And uh, well, yeah, what a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. And speaking of intersections and being unique, there's a lot of people doing what I do, not in the way I do it necessarily, but 
leadership development, coaching, the kinds of things we talk about. There's a lot of people out there. There's not a lot of people out there doing what you do. You having shown up to create this space for the people you work with, um, I think is like so wonderful and beautiful that you've done this. And the people who've come together and have found community in your work, I am like, I'm so in awe of what you've done and your bravery at creating this. So thank you for showing up and bringing your gifts into this work as well to be able to support so many. Oh, thanks, Dave. That means more than you will ever know. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Dave's journey is a testament to the power of passion and commitment in the creative process. He scratched his own itch, but also dared to dive all in, even if it meant letting go of things he loved doing. I'm inspired by his decision to design a life that plays to his strengths and how his unique ability and zone of genius sit at the intersection of three things he's good at. Whilst he naturally takes time to make decisions, he's put processes in place to help test and iterate more quickly, ultimately elevating his work. His commitment, generosity and vulnerability have enriched not only his life, but also ours. For those curious about Coaching for Leaders, dive into the recent episode with Sheila Heen on how to improve difficult conversations. It's a goldmine of insights, offering guidance for those moments when good intentions miss the mark. Also, I wanted to say a huge thank you to those of you who applied for the draw recently in rating and reviewing the podcast. It means so much and we read every single one of them. So thank you. But congratulations to Anna Masters and Karen Penny for your ratings and reviews. You are both the winners of our draw and you'll win one hour free coaching with me. So please reach out to us. Hello at kerryhand.com and we'll get you set up with your session. I look forward to meeting you and helping you get some traction in your creative career. Thank you so much, guys, for all your ratings and reviews. It means so much. Keep the suggestions for guests coming as I'm going to do my best to get them on. Please follow and share the podcast. It helps us to support more brilliant creatives like you. Recommend future guest suggestions in your reviews. They might well become part of our show. Thanks for being part of our creative community. Until next time. Mm-hmm.